listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Let's go. Let's get it cranked up. Of course, we have history with this team, but you know, until now, we haven't we haven't thought about them, and, and uh, being two and zero and getting to get, getting to host them will be really good. It'll be a, a great atmosphere and a, and a huge game for our guys in the national spotlight. Uh, because it's it's controlled mayhem, and that that's what ends up happening. Kind of sleight of hand, uh, basketball on grass, and fast, 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 and catch you. Oh, let me let me just rest on this type of play, or or oh, I'm so tired I can't focus, or you know, oh, you, you get going, your heart rate's up, you know, and then if they do get a big play, bang, they're at the line of scrimmage and they're coming at you. Definitely, Oregon's it's they're no joke. They're a, they're a top program in the entire nation. Um, this will be our first uh, big test, and uh, we, we have to take them extremely serious and have a great week of practice because they're going to come ready to play. <clears throat> and if we can get a win against Oregon, that'll be huge for our program uh, on a national level. Just beating a team like that, it, it should propel us forward a lot in people's minds. And as Mike Riley said, here we go, let's go. It's Oregon week. Nebraska takes on the Ducks, 2.30 in Lincoln. It's a national TV game on ABC. Hello and welcome here to another edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan and Robin Washett. And Nate Klaus says, this has kind of been that early season measuring stick we've all been waiting for. Nebraska took care of business their first two games against Fresno State and Wyoming. Now we can finally get to the game. And this really is a big game for a lot of reasons. Obviously, we know the connections. Counting Mike Riley, there are six other full-time assistants that have connections to Oregon State. And you can make a case, Robin, uh, the struggles they've had um, against Oregon when they were at Oregon State are or why they're here. I mean, they, they lost seven straight to the Ducks. Mike Riley was 4-10. and ten. That in-state pressure of that rivalry uh, really kind of changed things a little bit for Mike Riley in his own state of Oregon. And um, there's no question in my mind, no matter what they say, how they downplay it, that this week has a lot of meaning to this coaching staff. Yeah, and keep in mind, it was five days after that last loss to Oregon that Mike Riley took the job at Nebraska. So, I mean, he, he was fresh off that that most recent beating, um, you know, when he decided to take this new opportunity. So I, I'm sure that there's a lot of, uh, you know, personal uh, implications in this for this staff. I mean, obviously, they, they heard a lot about it. I mean, with Oregon kind of establishing themselves not only as the best team in the state of Oregon, but, you know, in the Pac-12 conference, I mean, that, that was kind of a, a rough deal for them uh, to, to kind of just basically become the, the little brother by a large margin um, over the course of, you know, a 10-year period or so. But, um, you know, it wasn't just the losses that, you know, really stung with this coaching staff. It was the manner in which they occurred. I mean, that, that those final seven straight losses uh Oregon State or yeah Oregon State lost by an average of 45.6 points and gave up 578 yards of total offense per game uh on average so uh, it wasn't just losses they were beat down and he never beat a uh, Chip Kelly Mark yeah. Helfridge team uh, yeah. when those guys replaced Mike Bellotti so the modern era of Oregon dominated Mike Riley at Oregon State so this this I'm sure there's going to be a little bit of a revenge factor here no matter what they have said this week yeah it's no no doubt about it this is personal for all of those guys on the staff and um, I mean, and even Trent Bray, who who played against these guys at, at one point in time. So, um, you know, they'd like nothing more than to take care of business here. But I do like the fact that they have kind of downplayed this because uh, with this team, especially, you don't want to you don't want to create an environment where this is kind of a, a make or break game. 
uh, of your season right before you get into conference play. But there's no question this would be a huge victory, uh, kind of help propel Mike Riley and, and this program, uh, kind of validate that they are going down the right path here uh, to the fans, media, and, and recruits. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washington, Nate Klaus. We're getting you geared up for Saturday's 2.30 game against Oregon. It will be a national television broadcast on ABC and you know, you look at the weekend overall, guys. There are so many games right now. Um, you know, Louisville, Florida State's college game day. You've got Notre Dame playing Michigan State. Ohio State plays Oklahoma. Old Miss plays Alabama. Um, down the line, where this Nebraska Oregon game has not gotten very much play on the national radar. I mean, it's not even being treated as the appetizer. It's being treated as like the free chips and salsa <laughs> that come out before the appetizer. I mean, it really has not gotten. You know, I've listened to a lot of national guys talk and a lot of national radio, even, you know, Big Ten Network analysts that were on um, some shows. Uh, they, they don't even talk about this game. It, it's really weird. You know, it, it's a marquee matchup, but for whatever reason, it is off the radar. Yeah, and I'm sure there's several reasons for that. For one, like you mentioned, uh, the other lineups of games uh, is pretty impressive. So, I mean, just by default, you just don't have enough time in, in your national television or radio show to get to Nebraska, Oregon, or at least spend much time on it. So, I mean, that's that's part of it. And another part of it, too, is, I mean, just where Nebraska is nationally. I mean, I, just, there's no denying it. I mean, they're, they're not a marquee program right now. They're not ranked. Yeah, they're not ranked. And Oregon's barely in the top 25. And so, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, no, this isn't a very big game game on the national stage but uh, I tell you what I mean as far as Nebraska's college football playoff berth is considered I mean this this is a, a huge game if they win this uh, they're vaulted on the national map probably very close to cracking the top 25 and all of a sudden you know people are going to start paying attention a whole lot more to what Nebraska's doing. Nate I think you said this a few weeks ago that people have been burned by kind of picking Nebraska <clears throat> and it's kind of like they have to rebuild some trust and it, it's been this battle since Pelini in the Big Ten days Nebraska football, no one trusts them anymore in these types of games. Yeah, every big game that Nebraska's had over the last however many years, seven, eight, I mean, maybe even going back to Bill Callahan's era, um, you know, every big game, you, you kind of, if you're a media member, you kind of say, okay, this is the game that Nebraska is going to beat Nebraska and kind of get over that hump. But And then they always disappoint, it seems like. So, um, yeah, I think that has a lot to do with why people are not uh, not giving this game a lot of a lot of run right now. And, and Nebraska is not, is not Nebraska. I think uh, Oregon has been kind of dis- discounted a little bit too because they're not what, what – um, people are used to seeing in, in they Oregon. didn't even sell out their first two games <clears throat> yeah. which snapped their sellout streak there I mean you think about that I mean they, they don't have a big stadium in Oddsman 50,000 and they couldn't even sell it out so I think that tells you a little bit where the Ducks are right now as far as what their fan base thinks after blowing a 31 and nothing lead against TCU in the Alamo Bowl yeah I mean like I said it's the these teams aren't what they necessarily were you know five six seven years ago so I mean it's just kind of the way things are and I think again if depending on what happens on the field on Saturday you know either team could make a strong case to get back into that national conversation but um, I guess you know considering the other slate of games going on I don't uh, I guess uh, I'm not surprised by the lack of national attention this thing's getting you're listening here to the Husker Online Show Sean Callahan and Robin Washington and Nate Klaus as we get you geared up for Saturday's game with Oregon um, lastly here, guys, Mike Riley has been asked numerous times to basically throw his former team, Oregon State, down the river this week and, and just be critical of maybe what they didn't have as they tried to compete against Oregon. But to Mike Riley's credit, he's really never, ever 
tried to use that as an excuse, not once. And I, people have basically wanted him to say, yeah, we had nothing at Oregon State, and, and they had everything. But Mike Riley would never use that as his excuse this week. No, and, you know, again, a credit to him to, to not go stoop to that level because, like you said, he's been prodded a lot of times over the past week to basically say, yeah, we didn't have the horses, you know, now we finally do, so now we can finally have a chance against Oregon. But, uh, I, I mean – yeah, while he's not saying it, there's a lot of truth it's to like, it. It's I mean, kind of it's, it's just so obvious. Yeah, uh, everyone knows that Oregon State didn't have the resources, especially the resources that Oregon has right. had. I mean, it, it doesn't take a, <laughs> a genius to figure that out. Uh, Mike Riley doesn't have to say, "Well, we didn't have squat, we didn't have facilities, we didn't have, I mean, whatever uh, at, at Oregon State to to even compete with Oregon." So, uh, but I do, I, I I appreciate the fact that Mike Riley hasn't even wanted to go go down that that avenue um you know kind of i guess throw his former former team former program under the bus yeah and they got close in some years too yeah. i mean they, they I guess they weren't all blowouts despite what the numbers might suggest but um you know again oregon's one of those teams that can turn a close game into a blowout especially Real when quick. you just don't have uh you know the players to match up with them well people forget 2012 mike riley had oregon state squarely in the top 10 after beating wisconsin and ucla in back-to-back weeks the same two teams that beat nebraska that same season the Huskers played for the Big 12 championship. So we have a full show on tap here. Uh, when we come back, we're going to give you all the offensive storylines here to watch against Oregon. That's next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. I think you have to play your game, though. And, and, and uh, you know, we've, we've played them enough, and we've had some, some shootouts and some close games. I think if you can continue to to do your deal and, and not get caught up in what else is going on. You know, how you have, a, you have a plan, you have a game plan that you stick to. I think part of that is sustaining drives and not uh, giving them another crack at it because they do, they do go fast and that tempo wears you down. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washad, and Nate Klaus says you just heard offensive coordinator Danny Langsdorf giving his thoughts on just what the keys are this week for Nebraska's offense when they take on the Oregon Ducks as they will be tested. I mean, this is one of those games where you, you almost have to go blow for blow with a heavyweight fighter as Oregon's offense has the ability to go on runs. And I think that can put pressure, Robin, on an opposing offensive coordinator to kind of match those runs and, and go blow to blow with those guys. Yeah, well, I guess the good thing is that if anybody knows about what it's like to coach against uh, Oregon's offense, it's Danny Langsdorf. I mean, he's he's gone through this uh, plenty of times over the course of his career, so he, I don't think he's necessarily going to um, you know, worry about you know getting caught up and keeping pace with that tempo, um, uh, you know, turning this thing in, into a basketball game on grass. Uh, I think that what they have to do is come up, with, you know, have their game plan and stick with it. There were far too many times last year that we saw them get away from that. You know, when when things started to kind of turn into a bit of a track meet, uh, they would kind of abandon their running game and kind of start to air it out, and that can't happen. Uh, I mean, time of possession is generally a bit of an overrated stat. Uh, but in the, this week and against this team, uh, it probably has more value than it ever will. You, you have to keep Oregon's offense off the field, and you have to keep your defense fresh uh, for when they do have to go out there. 
Yeah, I, I think that uh, if there's, like you said, if there's one team that, that is not going to affect Danny Langsdorf, Mike Riley, it's probably Oregon because they're so familiar with how, how they're going to uh, pressure you and, and attack you. Uh, but yeah, the running game I think is is the single most important factor. Ball control and, and keeping the ball out of the hands uh, of that Oregon offense this week. You know what worries me, guys, a little bit about the offense is the situation at wide receiver. Um, you know, Brandon Riley's all but out this week. I think we can all agree. Mm-hmm. Alonzo Moore should play, but um, you know he he's got a, a shoulder issue mm-hmm. that that could flare up at any moment. Um, so their lack of just big-bodied receivers this week, you know, your two biggest, more physical guys are, are out. You're, I mean, you've got reserves like Brian Reimers. Stanley Morgan can be in that role, but I don't look at him as a big-bodied type of guy. Um, so that is a concern for me, just, you know, part- particularly not having Brandon Riley. You, you'd really want him out there this week if you could. Oh, no doubt. I mean, for one, he's probably your best downfield threat, and uh, not to mention his size. So that that's a big loss that I think is probably not being talked about enough here. Um, you know, he's obviously – you don't want to rush him back. So I think they're doing it the right way, um, you know, not, you know, getting caught up in, in the moment and bringing him back out there to set him even further back. Because those hamstrings, man, you, you don't want to mess around with those because you, you come back too early, then you're out, you know, multiple weeks. So it, it's certainly not ideal. And we'll see what they can get out of Alonzo Moore, who's been, you know, their biggest playmaker at wide receiver so far through two games. Games, uh, who's dinged up? We don't know, you know, how much of a percentage he's going to be of his normal self, and so that there's it's going to come down to guys like Stanley Morgan, to Demorne Pearsonell, and of course Jordan Westerkamp uh, to pick up the load there. And I guess the good thing is, you know, this isn't a game where you know they're necessarily going to have to throw or want to throw the ball uh, an excessive amount, but uh, when the plays are there, those three wide receivers are going to have to come up big and fill those guys' shoes. Yeah, I think Alonzo Moore is going to have to be that guy to to take the top off the defense or stretch that defense a little bit uh, now that Riley's more than likely not going to play. But I look to, to Stanley Morgan as a guy that always seems to play bigger than what his height is, is listed at. I, I think that uh, he's, his catch radius is, is uh, you know, that of a guy who's probably 6'3 uh, or, or bigger. Uh, and I think that he's he's one of those players I think needs to to step up and have you know make some big plays. I, I look at him and Demorne personnel. personnel are as two guys that with Brandon Riley out and, and Alonzo Moore kind of dinged up. Those are two guys that I think have a chance to make a big impact in this game or at least make a make a play and and step up and and make a make a play somewhere. I think the difficult thing with Westerkamp too is that he really doesn't line up wide. It's always in the slot. So you you think oh. Oh, just plug Jordan out at the X or the Z wide out as the single receiver. Uh, but he's almost exclusively a slot. He somewhat struggles against the good bump and run, which is why he is much better in that slot role. And that's where Moore and Riley come into play. They are so much better on the edge. Um, and Westy's so much better in the slot. Hey, one guy we haven't even mentioned that needs to step up, Seathan Carter. That could be an X factor in this passing game. I mean, there, I don't think there's a guy in Oregon that can match up with him physically. He's one of the stronger tight ends uh, in the country. And if they can get him matched up against one of those undersized linebackers, look out. I think that that might be a little wrinkle that we see this week, that maybe Riley and Langsdorf have been holding back Seathan Carter because 
because he is such a weapon and is, and does create so many matchup problems. He's we know he's going to be a huge part of the run game oh, yeah. as a blocking tight end. But I think seeing him in the passing game could be a little wrinkle that we see this week. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, and Robin Washett as we gear you up with offensive storylines to watch here on Saturday as the Huskers get ready for Oregon. And, you know, another thing here um, on the offense is how they match up against a new scheme. You know, Brady Hoke uh, took a year off after being fired at Michigan um, he's actually never been a coordinator before in college football. He's been a head coach, a position coach, uh, you know, but he's never actually been the schematical coordinator. And um, he's now in that role. Uh, they're running a four-three defense compared to what they've run for many, many years before—a three-man front. Um, I personally like Nebraska better against four threes because I, I don't like to see a big nose guard on top of Dylan Utter. I think that will free up Dylan Utter more here on Saturday. Uh, by by running a true four three, and I don't know if Oregon's built yet to be a four three uh, with their personnel. They've had to make a lot of moves with linebackers going to DN, DN's going to D tackle to kind of fill out the scheme. You're exactly right. They do have two three hundred pound plus defensive tackles in there, but after that, their size drops considerably. And it should be noted that they're not going to come out and run full scale four three from start to finish. They're kind of a hybrid look right now, where they interchange between four three three four depending on the situation of the game so passing downs you're probably going to see more linebackers on the field to where they can utilize that team speed and I guess the good news is Nebraska got a lot of three four looks and a lot of you know you know crazy blitz packages and disguises in week one against Fresno State so they have prepared for it you know I think they're going to have an idea they're not going to be totally caught off guard here uh, so uh, it's it will be interesting to see just kind of you know exactly what Oregon leans on defensively but you know I think that their four three isn't going to be something that you know they're going to just use uh, no matter what throughout the game. I think Nebraska's catching them at the right time, too, because if anyone knows about the growing pains of changing a defensive scheme, it's it's <laughs> Nebraska fans, right? So, And that's it's exactly what's happening with Oregon. Uh, UC Davis and Virginia were able to run quite well on Oregon in, in this new 4-3 scheme, and uh, and I think that the that the Huskers are kind of catching them right at the at the right time as this as that side of the ball kind of um, needs to gel and is continuing to to get more and more comfortable. Well, there's going to be lots to watch here with the offense, but really I think all the eyes are going to be on the defense. Uh, that will be next here as we continue our discussion. We'll talk defensive storylines to watch here against Oregon. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. They made us aware with all that stuff. Yeah, just that it's a Pac-12 crew, and they, uh, you know, they're used to the speed, so they can get going faster and, uh, you know, not not keep the game, you know, as as con- controlled pace-wise as Big Ten guys. The the big thing is making sure because you watch them on film and they're false starting and they're not set and nothing's called because the, the tempo doesn't allow the officials to officiate the game. And so that that's what I think the Big Ten has done a great job of is is managing that stuff. And, and so that's that's what we hope happens is is just allow the the procedure of the game to be what it's supposed to be. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. That was linebackers coach Trent Bray and middle linebacker Josh Banderas is talking about the concern of having a Pac-12 officiating crew here in Lincoln. And you heard Trent Bray say the the Pac-12 refs can and will call the game maybe a little bit differently. They might uh, favor it more towards Oregon's tempo. And 
I thought it was interesting. I asked, I was the one that asked these questions to Bray and, and Banderas, but they were very open about officials, and, and that usually is not the case um, where officials are talked about in that manner um, where it was almost like a marking of the territory by Nebraska's defensive coaches. Like, hey, we know that you guys aren't very good, but we hope you're better here on Saturday. Yeah, and what kind of baffles me, I guess I'm not – Kind of very familiar with how referees and officials are chosen for each game. Is it common? Yeah, that- yeah. It's so the the Power Five school that travels brings the refs with them. Ah, okay. Um, so that that's you. But it used to be the other way around for Pac-12. Pac-12 um, didn't let the refs travel. So like when Nebraska played Washington, it was Pac-12 crew out there. But I think it's since changed. If you remember uh, Wisconsin, Arizona State a couple of years ago, Wisconsin got hosed and they weren't able to set up their field goal to win the game because the Pac-12 mm. crew, um, I think, wound the clock or, or yeah. did something yeah. wrong. And that was a Pac-12 crew in Tempe. I, I, I believe now it is different um, the other way around. So that's how it works. Uh, visiting teams on the Power Five bring the refs with them. Yeah, and okay. Well, I, I guess as far as Nebraska is concerned, yeah, that, that is an issue to definitely keep an eye on. I mean, when you're talking about an offense that gets to the line of scrimmage to snap the ball eight to ten seconds into the play clock, uh, I mean, every second you can get to, to make adjustments, get calls in, substitutions made, uh, is invaluable. And so Nebraska is going to have to be on its game from start to finish defensively uh, to not avoid any of those mental breakdowns because that's what this offense does. It creates you to make mistakes and then takes full advantage of them by exploiting you with big plays. Yeah, I think the the fact that Trent Bray and some of the coaches and players were talking about that is, I mean, that's a frustration from past history right there coming out. Um, but it's also good because they know and they can plan for it. They know what it's going to be like. And and to your point too, Sean, I think that maybe it was a little bit of marking of the territory, kind of putting it out there, putting putting them on notice, saying, "Hey, look, you know, you you haven't been very good with this in the past. Maybe maybe it's something that you need to pay more attention to as you come into Memorial Stadium." Well, it, it is a good point because when you line up that quick. It is hard to catch the procedural and, and the motion penalties and, and whatnot, and, and that's what Nebraska has to be prepared for. But luckily, you've got a coaching staff that has gone against this staff um, seven times. You know They understand the Chip Kelly uh, offense and now Mark Helfridge offense, and, and they know the approach. They know how to substitute. They know how to rotate in personnel. Um, I mean, there, there will not be a game where Nebraska will be more prepared from a defensive standpoint than this game to me on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, they do have experience, but recent experience hasn't been very good. So, yeah, they might know what to expect, but uh, the fact is that the staff, at least at Oregon State, didn't really show much in the way of being able to counter it. So, but I mean, this is not the typical Oregon teams. I mean, this is I, correct. I, I think, you know, you, you look at, they had a Heisman Trophy guy, Marcus Mariota. Uh, talent-wise, experts have said this is Oregon's least talented team in seven years. Um, so I, I think this is almost like, the Frank Solich effect to Tom Osborne. Uh, Mark Helfredge is kind of like that with a Chip Kelly when I look at how the dynamics of their program have shifted since Chip Kelly has left. That being said, they're still averaging 48.5 points a game, ranked eighth naturally in total offense with 557 yards per game, and they have literally Olympians at their skill positions. (laughs) So say what you want about the talent level being a decrease. Yeah, maybe they're not a national championship contender, but they're going to present serious challenges to Nebraska especially if the officials aren't necessarily, you know, calling the game the way they should. It kind of reminds me of when Nebraska played Michigan in the Alamo Bowl. That was that was a staff they uh, Bill Callahan 
Kevin Cosgrove, all those guys, Phil Amation, those guys were familiar with Big Ten football, and they knew Michigan. They knew what they ran. They knew they were familiar with how they ran things. Well, now this staff, Mike Riley and this staff, they're familiar with how Oregon runs things. They're familiar with a lot of the personnel um, and, and how, just how they operate. And so I, I think that familiarity is going to pay off in a big way. I'll never forget that game. I mean, Nebraska, from a talent perspective, was so outmanned no, against they, Michigan. I mean, they had no business – when you look at upset wins in recent years, um, that is one where Nebraska was about as outmanned as it gets, and they were able to win that game. Uh, and it was game planning. They knew they knew what to expect. There, they were there were certain things, uh, certain points in the game where they knew from experience that hey, look, this is what Michigan's going to do here. And and I think that 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 was a huge part of that game. And I think that that same type of the deal is going to be huge this weekend. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This segment brought to you by Tanner Sports Bar and Grill in Omaha uh, with. Five locations in Omaha, now two in Lincoln as the newest location. Uh, they took over the old grandmothers there on 70th and 8th Street, right uh, just near Seacrest Stadium there. Uh, get out there and uh, get your pregame food and, and, and watch the games on both Saturday and Sunday at Tanner's in both Omaha and Lincoln. And, you know, another storyline, guys, as, as we look at this week is Oregon's quarterback, Dakota Prukop. Um, it's the second straight year they've had an FCS quarterback Last year, they had a transfer from Eastern Washington. This year, Prukop is from uh, Montana State. Um, this has been life without Marcus Mariota. They have struggled to get a quality quarterback in their recruiting classes uh, to come in and replace a Mariota, and they've had to go the unorthodox transfer route. Yeah, I think what's going to be interesting about this is this is really you know Prukop's first real test of high major college football on the road. Uh, he said he's never played in front of you know twenty five thirty thousand fans on the road before in his entire career. Well, now he's entering Memorial Stadium with ninety thousand fans rooting against him. So that will be something to keep an eye on. Is just how he handles the environments that um, you know in, in games like this can be pretty intimidating when the fans are jacked up. It's not at eleven a.m., so they'll get the sleep out of their eyes and get the tailgating underway. Uh, so that's going to be a, a factor that's definitely going to be worth keeping an eye on. Yeah, it's something to pay attention to. And but we we have seen some quarterbacks come into Memorial. Stadium and and not be rattled uh, as well and and he is an experienced guy but uh, it's going to have some sort of impact I just I don't know how much um, to me I think I look at him I look at the this quarterback situation I think he's more of a game manager he's not as dynamic as as what they had last year um, or especially as what they had with Mariota uh, but so far you know he's he's solid he, he I think he he manages the game well with and kind of distributes the ball to his weapons and lets them kind of operate and people look at Oregon as an air raid but it's not I mean it, it's more of a spread option wing T advanced form of the option I mean it it really is kind of like a Tom Osborne type of deal how they've created a system uh to their talent level and one with it um where you know they're kind of you know they, they don't do what everyone else does and in fact people now have started to copy what they do so it is very much their system that Chip Kelly has implemented there and he's just the point guard. He gets the ball out and, and doesn't you know make a lot of deep pro throws. And that's why Mariota was unique. I mean, they had a number one NFL draft pick guy as their quarterback, um, which you know got them into the national championship contention that year. Yeah, and like you said, Mark Banker himself called it a 2016 version of the wing tee. And so, yeah, it's, it's not going to be a deal where they throw the ball 50, 60 times, especially when you have a Heisman Trophy candidate running back and Royce Freeman, who's probably going to be as good as any running back Nebraska sees all season. So uh, the, the focus on stopping the run has to be just as high of a priority as it is, you know, containing the passing game. I, I think, you know, if they can do that, 
uh, and get some pressure on Brukop. Um, he's got arm strength that is probably better, um, you know, than maybe what Vernon Adams had a year ago. Uh, but still, I mean, if you, you can rattle a guy in his first taste of an environment like that, I mean, that could really set the tone for the entire game. New quarterback, three redshirt freshmen on the O-line. It should be interesting to see kind of how the Ducks respond to the atmosphere in Memorial Stadium. When we come back, we're going to shift over to our Husker Online mailbag as we'll take your questions and, and, and answer what you want to know as Nebraska gets ready for Oregon. That's next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. I think a lot's made in that. I don't really look at all that like that. I think that uh, we we enjoyed every minute of what we did at Oregon State. Never thought of ourselves as disadvantaged. Never put ourselves in that in that role. You know, we had a lot of fun doing a lot of things there. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, and Nate Klaus as we get you geared up for Oregon Week in Lincoln as the Ducks come to town for a 2.30 game on ABC. And it's time um, for our weekly Husker Online mailbag. But before we bring in Matt Reynolds and one of our two Husker Online interns, Matt, first of all, it is your 21st birthday today. Happy birthday, Woo! buddy. Uh, Thanks. We're going to live vicariously through you tonight as <laughs> the three dads of daughters here uh, will be at home. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's been fun so far. Went out last night. Uh, David, uh, my fellow intern, bought me my first drink, and so uh, had a good time last night. Excited to uh, have my bar crawl downtown tonight. Where's your first bar? Uh, Fuzzies. I, I want to go there so um, my minor friends can come. Ah, yeah. okay, smart. Yeah, that is smart. Well, have fun, but don't. I'm going to speak as the dad here. Don't have too much fun. <laughs> Be careful. <laughs> my parents have already texted me before 9 a.m. and they're like, "Hey, don't have too much fun." <laughs> And nobody's keeping score. Just, just have fun. <laughs> so, well, let's get right to it. It's a busy week. A lot of questions, Matt, in the mailbag. Uh, let's. What do you got out of the gates here? All right, leading us off. One thing. One interesting question. Who is one player outside of Tommy Armstrong who must have a good game in order for us to come out on top versus Oregon? I would say for, for me. Are, are we just talking offense? Mm -hmm. um, no, all altogether. <sighs> that. I would say the secondary. I, I think the secondary is going to be really stressed this week in tackling, uh, you know, just covered situations, being aligned properly. Um, I think they are as big of a part of the success for this game to me as anybody. Yeah, I'll go Divina Zigbo because I think Nebraska's ability to have a power running game will be absolutely critical, uh, not only uh, to put, put up points offensively, but to keep Oregon's offense off the field. I'm going to go Dylan Utter and maybe even you could say the interior offensive line. I've been impressed with the tackle play so far, but I think that interior offensive line, especially Dylan Utter, uh, going to have to uh, going to have to open up some holes to get Divina Zigbo in that running game rolling uh, and kind of control the clock there in this game. Following up with, uh, with Robin, you mentioned Ozigbo, uh, condensing one of these questions a little bit. Uh, what does Ozigbo need to do in this game, specifically stat-wise, uh, to really help the Oscars win? Yards after contact, for me. Uh, I mean, that's the thing that I think he does about as well as, as any back that we've seen since probably Amir Abdullah here. Uh, his ability to turn, you know, one, two, three-yard gains into four, five, six-yard gains I think is absolutely critical, uh, especially this week, uh, to extend drives, get those key first downs, and keep the chains moving. So that, that, that's what he has to do more than anything else. And to me, the key is is shortening this game. And, you know, a bunch of five- to six-yard body blows 
uh, could go a long way. You know, you want to limit the possessions. I go back to that Fiesta Bowl when K-State played Oregon, and, and K-State ended up losing that game, but Oregon was really good. And and Bill Snyder really slowed that game down to a snail's pace. Um, I want to—I forget what the possessions were, but I think Oregon was only getting like two possessions a, a quarter in the first half, and um, the Wildcats made that game a lot more interesting than it probably should have been because of their talent. Now Nebraska, um, and this is a different game, but I, I just look at that as a blueprint of like, hey, if you can slow Oregon down with, with some short, controlled runs, that's going to go a long way. Yeah, for me, I, I think it's uh, being physical and, and you know, kind of keep asserting your yourself in that fourth quarter. Nebraska's been terrific in the fourth quarter, and I think if you can wear these guys down, um, you know, that could be the case once again this weekend. All right, we continue our Husker online mailbag. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, and Robin Washett as our intern Matt Reynoldson goes through the next question here in the Husker online mailbag. Next question, is the number one priority on defense to keep Royce Freeman in check and the follow-up? Will the Huskers have to keep him under 100 yards to win? Well, statistically, Royce Freeman is as good of a back as Oregon's had. When you look at what he did a year ago, um, he was a rival's top 100. Um, he's a pro prospect. He might be the best running back the Huskers see this year. Um, and maybe he's the best running back right now in the Pac-12. So there are a lot of things out there um, matchup-wise that, yeah, I think he is the key. Because if they can soften up the middle of this Husker defense, that's when he can really get going, and, and they have to be aware of that. Yeah, the double-edged sword here, though, is you don't want to put too much attention on stopping him because once you overly commit to stopping the run, that's when Oregon just burns you downfield with those track Olympian wide receivers that they have. So, I mean, it's a it's going to be a fine line between you know ma- making sure you contain Royce Freeman, which I think will be a top priority, but maybe 1B uh, on that list is making sure you don't give up the big play. Yeah, I think uh, I don't know if there's necessarily a yardage where you have to keep Royce Freeman under, but probably uh, yards per carry because you don't want to allow him to to rip off those big yards. Uh, you want to keep him contained. We move the mailbag on here. What are the matchups within the matchup that are you that you are most interested in watching? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, matchup within the matchup that I'm interesting wa- interested in watching. I, I think the adjustment just how. How Riley goes at Brady Hoke's scheme. I mean, they don't have a lot of familiarity with it. Hoke doesn't really have a lot of familiarity with Riley. Um, So I think that is going to be interesting to watch because clearly the Ducks have their questions on defense. I think they're vulnerable. I don't think they're built to run a 4-3. And I think there's a lot of things Riley and Langsdorf can go at and maybe expose um, with the 4-3 scheme that Oregon's going to run. I'll keep it with coaching and say Danny Langsdorf's play calling. Uh, The key here is not to get caught up in Oregon's tempo and try and turn this thing into a track meet on grass. They got to stick with their game plan. And that was an issue they had last year. Sometimes that they did not commit to the running game when, um, you know, that they probably should have. And so this is a perfect situation where they got to, you know, have their plan, stick with it, no matter what Oregon does on the other side of the field. I'm going to go with the uh, three redshirt freshmen offensive linemen starting for Oregon and a new quarterback um, with the crowd noise. The, the the quarterback hasn't played in front of a crowd of more than 20,000 people ever, and you've got three redshirt freshmen offensive linemen there who've never been in this type of environment, and I think that could have an impact on this game. And that that quarterback, a Montana State transfer, Dakota Prukop, uh, came from the FCS ranks a year ago. The next – We've had a lot of discussion this week, and uh, the forums have had a lot of discussion this week about special teams and the concerns surrounding that. And so, question from the mailbag, what's more concerning to you at this point in the season and why? Punts or punt returns? Well, I think you have to be really sensitive when discussing the punter situation. 
because this is this is obviously not a uh, a normal deal with what happened with Sam Foltz in the offseason and, and having to insert a true freshman in there basically on very short notice uh, like Nebraska's done. So it's hard to be overly critical to me about the punter struggles because of the the rare situation the Huskers have been dealt with. Uh, the punt return game to me um, has been disappointing, but there also haven't been a lot of punts that are returnable. Um, so that is another one. I mean, it, it's been upsetting, but this whole let's fire Bruce Reed stuff, I think needs to kind of tone it back. Kick returns have been fine. Kick coverage has been fine. Uh, I haven't really seen much other than the punting stuff, and, and I went through my reasoning why. Yeah, I think Caleb Lightburn, the fact that he is a true freshman, he will get better. I don't think there's any question about that. So I'm not that worried uh, about his situation right now. The punt return, like Sean said, um, there's kind of been some unique deals with the style of punts that they've had. But what is a concern is the blocking on the punt return. I mean, when the balls that have been returnable, Nebraska just hasn't blocked anybody. I know on our board there's been some screenshots of, you know, five or six opposing punt coverage guys running down the field without a single blocker in front of them. So the runner returner doesn't even have a chance to return the ball so I mean they, they got to improve that to when they actually do get a returnable ball have some room to do some work uh, I'm not overly concerned about either I think the punting is going to get better uh, I think punt returns will get better as well uh, as when they, they see they, real punters yeah when they see some better punters and and also you know once you get I think DeMornay personnel, um, you know, once he gets comfortable back there and they get some, you know, sees a real punter, I think that uh, that whole unit will look a lot better. All right. We, we have time for one more quick one here as we close the mailbag with Matt Reynolds in here on Husker Online Radio. It's the most burning question of Oregon week. What's the verdict on pumpkin spice lattes? <laughs> I, I got one yesterday in Kearney. I spoke in Kearney and uh, stopped at Caribou and picked one up. I'm usually maybe two to three a year. I like them on special occasions, road trips. Robin and I generally get our morning coffee on road games, and, and a pumpkin spice latte might make the rotation. You know, I can do maybe like one a year. They've just gotten so sweet, and especially when like I don't clarify that I don't want whipped cream on it. It's like, come on, man. I don't want dessert at 8 o'clock in the morning. Give, give, give me some you know, black coffee. I can honestly say I've never had a pumpkin spice latte. Gordy Klaus, your and, father, would be proud of you, Nate. Think, yeah, I think I'm kind of proud that I'm the only guy here. Nate's so much more that. manly than we are. I've, things, I've never had one. So. They okay. have about 600 calories in one of those yeah. things. I mean, they're they're not they're not healthy. So <laughs> well, that puts a wrap here on the mailbag. Matt, we wish you a happy birthday. Have a great time and shots, show shots, up shots. to Saturday yeah. in one piece, please. Absolutely. Might not show up to Friday in one piece, but we'll see. If, yeah. uh, I'll no, probably show up Saturday. No throwing fine. up in the press box. All right, when we come back we will wrap the show up and we'll get nate klaus's take on the recruiting weekend as nebraska will have a good number of recruits in town here for this oregon game you're listening to the husker online show you're listening to huskeronline.com your authority on nebraska athletics final segment here of the show sean callahan and nate klaus as we get you geared up for saturday's game in lincoln with oregon huskers oregon will kick off at 2 30 it's a national television game on ABC, Nate. And, you know, as you look at this game uh, for recruiting, I think initially we thought this was going to be kind of the big weekend where Nebraska would have a, a ton uh, of national recruits in Lincoln uh, for this game. But 
uh, it's really looking like it's not going to be as big of a recruiting weekend as we initially thought. Yeah, it, it, there's going to be eight players, eight official visitors on campus, four of which are already committed to Nebraska. Uh, so not quite the as big of a game as, as what we had originally thought. And I think a lot of that has to do with the, the start time. That 2.30 start time really impacted things, especially for guys on the West Coast because uh, if you're playing on Friday night, you'd have to basically, as soon as you get done playing your game, you'd have to head to LAX to catch a red eye, and then you're traveling all night long just to get to Lincoln in time for kickoff, and, and, and not with much time to spare, I might add. So uh, it did make things a little bit difficult, but uh, still a good group of guys coming in. There's a lot of talent, and I, and I always like having um, or seeing you know some commits with some uncommitted players because I I always get the feeling that that those uh, those commits are, are doing some recruiting and there's some kind of some bonding that goes on and, and I think that's been kind of a, a good thing for Nebraska yeah and breaking down the visitor list there's eight right now confirmed correct eight yep. eight and there's four commits Robert Porsche the defensive end out of Florida will be here Willie Hampton the linebacker out of Florida and, and that will be his first visit to Lincoln now right first time on campus yeah so Willie Hampton and then Austin Allen from Aurora makes sense for him he's injured right now get the official visit done on a big game weekend like this because he obviously um, you know can't even play football at this point and then Matt Sichterman the three-star lineman from uh, Ohio will be here as well as the four official visitors but uh, then you're going to have four targets here. Let's go first down the line, Nate. Trajan Cotton, three-star athlete, high three-star uh, athlete, will be here as one of the visitors. Yeah, Trajan Cotton is a high-valued target for Nebraska. He's listed as an athlete, but Nebraska likes him at cornerback. He's he's 6'1", 180 pounds from Sacramento, California. Uh, Brian Stewart has done a great job of recruiting him and, and kind of really started recruiting him about the same time as they got hot and heavy on Lamar Jackson last year out of the same area they played on the same seven on seven team and and that's why Trajan Cotton is has a lot of interest in Nebraska right now is because of Lamar Jackson and um, you know his relationship with him and the fact that he's played as a true freshman already are, are a couple reasons why uh, he's interested in the Huskers and um, he's going to be bringing his mother with him on the trip, which I think is is a key factor. And the other thing here too to 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 really pay attention to is that it's probably Nebraska and Oregon are his top two schools right now, and and so to to see these two schools kind of go go at it against one another, I think uh, you know Nebraska's got a great opportunity to to kind of show him exactly why he should be heading to Lincoln if they if they take care of business and beat the Ducks. As we wrap up the Husker Online Show, we are previewing this weekend's recruiting visitors that will be in Lincoln for the Oregon game. Uh, Auburn commit Alaric Williams. I assume Nebraska's looking at him as a running back, right, Nate? That's right. A four-star prospect. What's your take on that? I mean, he's an Alabama kid that's committed to Auburn, coming to Lincoln for an official. How has that been received uh, by his uh, school that he's committed to? Well, he's a four-star athlete. Uh, he was the first running back taken in in uh, in Auburn's class, or, or the first, I guess, the first running back. Um, you know, they've kind of labeled him a, as an athlete, and then they've just recently added another running back commit into that class, which I think has Alaric kind of looking around and, and maybe uh, reevaluating his options a little bit. And Reggie Davis has been on him for an awful long time, and 
Uh, I mean, he's a special talent. He's had an amazing senior season up until about last week. He actually had to have his knee scoped, so he's going to miss uh, three or four weeks uh, at least uh, while he recovers from that. But um, you know, they've got room for one running back in this class, and and Alaric Williams is probably right at the top of that list. And I don't know how happy Auburn is about him taking this visit. It is his first official visit that he will um, will be taking. But uh, there are a couple other schools that are really still recruiting him pretty hard, and that's Notre Dame. I know Alabama's still been talking with him, um, and, and Georgia is still kind of in the mix too. So uh, something to to kind of keep an eye on going forward. And I feel like we see this happen a lot. In, in these SEC programs, Nate, where they're so selective on that running back spot, you know, they get one and then they keep adding or adjusting or relabeling guys. Mm-hmm. Happened with Amir Abdullah. He probably should have went to Auburn out of high school. It was the year after they won the national title. Uh, they wanted him to come in there, but they wouldn't let him be a running back. And yeah. and and I'm guessing they kicked themselves about that now because you know he, he goes down his senior year and he's MVP of the Senior Bowl in Mobile, Alabama. Um, and, and clearly probably should have been the guy that either Alabama or Auburn took that year. Exactly. And, and uh, it, it is interesting because they've, they've labeled him as an athlete. They, they haven't said, you're our running back. You're the guy in this class that we're taking. And, and then they just added a, another four-star running back out of Florida. And so I think that's kind of – that's why he's, he's taking, his, taking a look around and considering all his options. And he's got a lot of options to consider a, as a top 250 player in the country. Moving down the visitor list as we talk recruiting visitors this weekend uh Deontay Watts a three-star defensive tackle 6'3 305 out of Plano Texas Plano East High School uh, will be here for an official visit this will be his first trip uh, has a long list of offers what can you tell us about Mr. Watts well De- Deontay Watts kind of fits that nose tackle um, position that Nebraska really wants in, in this class they want to add at least at least one uh, maybe even two nose tackles to go along with DeAndre Thomas uh, the the defensive tackle commit in this class and Damian Daniels is, is a guy that's right at the top of the list out of, out of Dallas Texas he visited for the Fresno State game and I think Deontay Watts is probably the number two guy on that list and they actually had a couple other D tackles or nose tackles uh, scheduled to come in this weekend but they moved those visits so they could pay all their attention and, and kind of give all all the love to Deontay Watts this weekend um, you know out of Plano East High School I think John Perrell has done a good job of recruiting him he, there's a good relationship there but as you mentioned there's a long list of suitors and, and from all over the country too for a Texas kid it's, it's interesting uh, that he's taking a look at USC UCLA um, and then you've got the normal kind of the usual suspects involved with Oklahoma and Alabama um, you know or I'm sorry A&M uh, kind of looking in there so um, but for Nebraska to get him on campus it's his first visit he's going to be coming up with his parents they, they've got an opportunity to kind of set the bar there and, and uh, with two spots left you know maybe maybe start leveraging um, you know the the lack of the lack of space left in that class with uh, with the fact that they're in on so many high guys and then lastly Nate Andrew or Andrew Ward out of Michigan a three-star linebacker will be making a return trip to Lincoln he was here was it for the spring or mm-hmm. uh, but it's an interesting one to me you look at who else wants him Penn State and Nebraska and Virginia Tech are kind of his main offers Arizona um, is this a guy the Huskers would take immediately or is he kind of a you hold back the commit if he was interested in committing. Well, I think I think he is a guy that they would take immediately. He comes from a good program, and Muskegon um, is uh, is kind of the you know if there's a, a program in, in the state of Michigan that 
closely resembles uh, a Texas program, kind of a Friday Night Lights program. It, it's Muskegon is probably one of them. Uh, it's a big time football there. Uh, he is he is their best player, very active on defense, and and probably one of those one of those sneaky Trent Bray guys where he did a great job of evaluating him, identifying him as a talent early on, and and I think there's also a lot of other schools initially that wanted to offer but wanted to see a little bit more progress in the in the classroom, and, and that has happened. And because of that, um, Nebraska is kind of pushing pushing him a little bit and bringing him in on a visit. He wants to take a couple of other trips, uh, Arizona, maybe Penn State, Virginia Tech is in the mix there um, as well for a visit. But he's going to be coming up with his mom. He loved everything he saw at the spring game, but now he wants to see what, what a game day weekend is like. And he wants his mom to see everything that he saw too. Uh, so that, that she can kind of have a better understanding of, of what the Huskers have to offer a student-athlete. So eight official visitors overall, four of them will be targets. It will be a busy weekend with recruiting coverage. So make sure you check out Husker Online. As um, By about halftime, we'll have a, a full photo gallery of the recruits posted by Nate Klaus on the website here uh, during the Oregon game, and then full recruiting updates uh, following the recruits' visits on Sunday, along with all of our post-game coverage, as it will no doubt be a big weekend here here in Lincoln as the Huskers take on the Ducks. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. 